When life gets crazy busy, and when doesn't it, Walmart helps you keep it all together, now with a little help from Instacart. If you need your groceries now-ish, but your options for going to Walmart are later-ish or never-ish, you can get everything you need delivered through Instacart right to your door in as fast as an hour. Skip the shop and savor more of your crazy busy life with Walmart and Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order, $10. Additional terms apply. Hi guys, welcome to Rated M for Moms podcast. Your host Alex and Devin. Woohoo! Today we have a special guest. Um, she is a friend of mine. I help her during the week with her amazing little boy. Um, but she has a side of motherhood that we have not had on our podcast just yet. So this is Aubrey Jenkins. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So give us just a little bit background, just a little bit, snippet about you. Snippet. <laughs> background about me. Yeah. So like you said, Aubrey, uh, been in Florida my whole life. Um, been with my husband, Chris, for 11 years now, married for eight of those, um, and been a mom for just about three years. Um, only on paper, though, um, for about three months. Has it even been that long, Devin? I'm not sure. Um, uh, no, not even that long. Yeah, no, not even that long. Like yeah, March, April, May. It's about to be it's June. About to be almost three months. months. Yeah. About to, three, about to be three months. Yeah. Yeah, that's because my husband and I adopted. Um, we were foster parents uh, before that. And um, before that, we ha got a couple years of infertility and all of the joys that come with that under our belt. Um, we you know, had a first few years of marriage where we were just terrified of giving, getting pregnant. And then as soon as we wanted to get pregnant, we couldn't. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the, the newer perspective uh, that you mentioned that I might be bringing to the podcast, the idea of really wanting to be a mom and not being able, your body saying, nope, just kidding. Um, and then going about alternative ways to, to do that. Yeah. Um, but foster parenting is something that I feel really passionate about and I, I have very different perspective on it now that I've done it than I had going into it um, <clears throat> that I, I can get a little soapboxy about and I won't do that here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I know a lot of people, I hear a lot from people like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. Or I hear a lot of, oh, I could never do that. It's either one or the other. Um, so any insight I can offer people to that, I'm always happy to do. Well, we are glad to have you and we're glad to hear your story because I, if I could, I couldn't, if I was ever in the predicament, I always told myself if I could not have kids when the time was right, that I would foster. Mm -hmm. That was something. And even this time, like to have my daughter, if we didn't have my daughter, then I would have went to like go and get a little girl in the foster care. Cause I was like, I am not leaving this earth. Whether she is biologically mine, she's my blood or not. <laughs> like I'm going to have a little girl. Because, yeah, she, 
four boys. Four, well, three. Three, three boys before her girl. Oh, wow. It was like, I'm getting a girl. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is my last shot. <laughs> so how long, um, I guess you answered that. How long have you suffered with infertility? Yeah. My husband and I, I'm not sure which year it was that we started trying, but it, it's been five years now of quote unquote trying without ever having a positive pregnancy test. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people who in their infertility journey, like have had miscarriages or losses, um, which I, I even can't imagine that and how hard that would be. We are on the end of the spectrum of we've never even had a single positive pregnancy test. And so um, it's a <laughs> um, hard place to be in when it's, it's like, it feels like, the thing that you want in this world more than anything and it feels like oh this is what my body is supposed to do right like this is yeah. Literally yeah. what my body is created to do and it's not doing it um, <sighs> really easy to feel like a failure when you're in the midst of it um but now that i am a mom i feel like it's transformed <sighs> my perspective on that a lot <laughs> yeah so side question is there like anything that you can do like besides going and getting all the tests to figure out why exactly you don't like or is there just oh. tests yes. yeah, is it just like continue tests to figure it out i mean everyone's gonna be different right so like for me i um I'm in a bit of a bigger body and doctors like to slap the label of PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovary syndrome on you. The second you say that you're having a hard time getting pregnant and you're in a bigger body. Right. Um, but I have very few of the symptoms of PCOS. And so I'm really not sure if that's what I struggle with. My sister, um, um, is, is tiny. My sister historically has been like a twig her whole life. She tried for 10 years and never got pregnant. Um, and so I personally feel like there's some other thing that's going on that, that, that just hasn't been found yet. Maybe it's genetic, you know, like my sister also never got pregnant and weight wasn't her issue. Yeah. yeah. Have so you um, can't put that in the mix. Right. So like everyone's going to be different. Right. But, um, what's really, really frustrating is I feel like when it comes to fertility, there are so few answers that are out there sometimes. And so like with my sister, they literally just, they, they literally labeled her with unexplained infertility. Like that, like that's a diagnosis. Like it's not, that means you no. can't figure it out. Yeah, that literally yeah. Means that you have no answers for me. That just but, means that the universe is saying no, like, like, it's, like there's no reason why you can tell me that my body's not getting pregnant. So like, but some people it's really clear why they're not getting pregnant. And, and, but like, it's just frustrating how little it feels like the medical community knows about fertility. Mm -hmm. um, like there just hasn't been enough research <laughs> into it. Um, and like, it, it can be really hard depending on like, if you have good healthcare or not, even to like get the number of tests that you may need. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, get. That takes a huge part of it. Cause yeah, exactly. I, know that get I know from just like reading and like psychology and like, and all of those things that there's a lot of tests and it costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of tests. It's a lot of money. And then all, oh, there's also like everybody's opinions. Yeah. Right. That's one of the hardest parts of infertility is everybody's opinions. Everyone's like, oh, stop worrying about it and you'll get pregnant. Or like now that I've adopted, I've had a lot of people be like, oh, well, you know that now that you've adopted, you're going to get pregnant, right? 
Like, that's just what always happens, right? And I'm like, like, I know your heart is in the right place. But no, that's not always what happens. And of course, yeah. we hear those stories yeah. because they're good stories, right? Like, mm -hmm. people love a good story. And so that's the one that's passed around the dinner table. But it's not always what happens. Um, and yeah, so like, there's few answers from the medical community. There's far too many answers from, 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 yeah, from, from everybody and their mother, you know, like you'll get family members. <laughs> I come from like this very, uh, conservative, like Baptist family. And so does my husband and you get just some of the wildest remarks. Like even <laughs> I've had a family member like recommend positions to help you get pregnant and they and you're like they're like whispering you like it's something really, really oh yeah because like because <laughs> you know can't nobody know but you're suddenly out here telling me these positions that don't do it i the amount of uh, what's even the word like the, the amount of entitlement that people have to be able to like speak into areas of your life they're like you have you have no business talking about this stuff with, with me yeah. <laughs> it's 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 enraging it's enraging honestly yeah have you guys um i guess a side question have you guys tried to do like ivf and other things or <laughs> that's that's something like um I at times almost feel like like I don't even have the right to like claim that we've had fertility struggles because we haven't gone down a lot of those roads okay. and so it's possible that maybe um you know, if, if we had, maybe we wouldn't be pregnant, we would be pregnant by now. But, um, so my, my sister ended up fostering, um, and ultimately adopting. And so when we started having fertility issues, it was something that I always kind of knew that I wanted to do was foster. And so we're, before we even started going down the roads of like really intensive fertility treatment, I was just so desperate to like, have an outlet for my parenting energy right no. I was like let's just foster yeah and then the second <laughs> the second we dove into fostering I was like okay this is enough stress I can't I can't go down the road of fertility treatments and be like having all of that hanging over my head while also doing this fostering thing and so it sort of like put the pause on anything we would do there um besides the normal route of trying to get pregnant um and so we could like couldn't do both so like we fostered for a season and now that we're on the other side of adoption we've talked about like okay well do we want to dive into fertility stuff again and right now we're just we're not, not even go there we have two and a half year old we're like we're good we're good right now yeah. um, just enjoy <laughs> right now yeah enjoy him. exactly enjoy what your life is giving you at the moment and when the time is right which you'll know when the exactly. time is or exactly if the yeah. time isn't right and things just happen you know you never know life is you great. never know and my husband and I were talking about, like, I never thought I would be someone who would be okay with just one kid. Like, I always said, oh, I never want to have just one kid. I Like, I, that wouldn't be enough for me is kind of what I thought. And now that I'm here, I'm so much more satisfied and content with, with one kid than I ever expected to be. Yeah. And so much more stressed out by just one kid <laughs> than I ever expected to be. <laughs> that, like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> even know if we need a second right. one once a lot yeah like i give i mean i want to give them a sibling but can we wait a little bit yeah i give myself permission to feel differently a year from now but right now i'm not putting any pressure on us <laughs> to make any other kids happen look i can definitely agree because we had two two was like they were fine they were they're 16 months apart so like the two 
It was like having two babies. Yeah. It wasn't that much of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then Rue came, and not only did she come, but she came early. She came, she was a preemie. Right? She was super, super tiny. I was in the hospital before I even had her. Like, it literally was like, oh, our life, our plate is great like this. And yes. she came and she was like this. You now no longer have a plate. And your plate pieces <laughs> and everything that was on your plate is around the place. And it really, in the beginning, flipped us upside down. I'm not yes. going to lie. It flipped us so hard. And we're just now, like, getting in a place where, okay, our plate is glued together. And we're putting our things or back our on things our plate. Back. But two is a, a handful, yeah, man. It's a handful. No, so I understand. understand. She's fearless, which makes you full she of fear, really I would is. imagine. She really is. If you see her at the beach, you probably have a heart attack. The really? many times that she wanted to run with other, the older kids, because we're like, oh, you guys can go towards the water. We're right here. And literally, if Devin was not turning around, like if she was slow to turn around, forget it. Two would have been out. She was oh. literally... The fact that she turns around so quickly because literally Rue is running and she is grabbing her right, right back. And she's literally throwing herself like, oh my God, this is the end of the I know. world. I'm like, she's amazing. Sometimes yeah, she comes yeah. with Devin and the way that she plays is just so different from Malik. It's so funny. Malik is a really cautious, naturally cautious kid. And once he decides he's comfortable with something, he can be, you know, he can go for it. But like, he's pretty cautious. And so at the beach today, like, we had a little toy that he could throw into the wave and it's like a little surfer dude. And then surf, he would like surf back in and uh-huh. you get it and you throw it again. And he would like only run up close enough to the water to throw it. And then he would run away. And I was, <laughs> Oh no, my mother-in-law. Not room. Room. I'm I'm glad glad it. Tried to go get it. Yeah. Much more trying nervous. to swim on her own. And we're like, girl. Yeah. She's crazy. So what has been the hardest part of foster care? Oh, that was a face. Yep. <laughs> yeah, facial expressions. Uh, yeah, give like top top two, oh. top two, top two. God, no, I, okay. So, again, this is going to be different for everyone, right? But I, I would, I would wager to imagine that everyone's number one is just going to be like an overarching, like the system. Like, I feel like most people who are haven't even fostered yet have probably heard the sentence like, "Oh, foster care is broken. Like, this system is broken," and no one really knows what that means until you're in it and it's so broken in so many ways that it's just impossible to know until you're in it like just how effed (laughs) it all is just from every angle and like the more you're in it just like the more heartbreaking it can be right so like I the way that I kind of thought about that sentence of like oh the system is broken from the outside in, you have this perspective like, oh, there's all of these like negligent parents and we have to go in and help these kids and the system isn't doing these kids any favors by like dragging out the case or like, I don't know, I always just sort of only felt for the kids when I was on that side of it. of like, oh, there's all these children who need my help. And then you get in it. And while of course that's true, you realize that like, oh my God, <laughs> there's all these families that need help. Like it's so much bigger than just the kids. Like, the amount of crap that these bio families have to deal with, like once they're enwrapped, like wrapped up in the system is just so unbelievably heartbreaking. So like with our story, you know, we, we had a foster placement that was with us 
only seven weeks before they were able to go back home. And I don't want to get into too many details because, like, that's their story. Right. But, like, basically with their story, they never should have been removed to begin with. Uh Like, like, it was all based on this giant misunderstanding and one person's lie. And CPS does not have the funding or the, the, the luxury of time to be able to make nuanced decisions, right? They just have to be like, okay, we have to get in and use the limited amount of time we have to assess, is there a danger? Uh, maybe, okay, we need to err on the side of removing the kid. And like, okay, yeah, if you don't have time, I understand that, right? Like, so we have to err on the side of protecting kids. But like, when you don't have the nuance of time, like, are they built like the luxury of time to, to actually get a full read for a situation? The amount of harm that's happening when you remove these kids when they never needed to be removed yeah, in the more, first place. Exactly. It's more, it's more than like potentially just leaving them and exactly. having the time to go and check every yeah. week or go do this or like go do that. So what's really, really hard about being a foster parent is participating in a system that feels like so often it's causing just as much harm as it's, as it's like preventing. Yeah. Or trying to do like just as much harm as it's trying to do good. Right. And so it's really, really hard to feel complicit in that, even though you went in like with all the best intentions in the world, like you get in and your eyes are open to (laughs) how much bullshit happens. And you're like, well, crap, I'm in it now. And I'm part of it. And like, how do I navigate in a way that, is as ethical as possible, right? And like has these kids' best interests at heart while also keeping in mind there's only so much you can do. Like your job in that, situ- in that situation is to care for the kid. Yeah. And you make the decision to remove this kid. It's not your fault that they're here. They'd be here whether you were or not. But like you have to find a way to like make the best out of a terrible situation. And so that's really, really hard. And like in, in the case with like our first case, that was a mom who was just like, she had this attitude of, okay, obviously I didn't choose this. I would never choose this. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but you have my kid now. So if you say jump, I'm going to say how high and I'm going to get my kid back. And so it was relatively easy to see that as a foster parent and be like, okay, I am on your team. Like, let's figure this out. Like, let's get, let's get them back to you as fast as possible. And so like, sort of feel like you're on the family's team as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that was like best case scenario, right? And so they were able to go back in seven weeks, which like for the foster care system is, is great. Is like an instant. That sounds really fast. Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> fast. <laughs> <laughs> some other stories. Yeah, seven weeks is like really, really fast. Right, right, right. Um, whereas like other, this other case that we had that like we have now adopted our, our, our son, um, you know, is a different story because there was more bitterness uh, towards the system on that side uh, or on with this family and completely understandably so, right? Like if you have a history and you feel like you've been wronged in the past, like I understand being bitter and I understand being angry and I understand not trusting me because you probably feel like I'm just out here to steal your kid. And so like, it's just hard to be part of a system that's so broken. So that's number one. (laughs) <laughs> to take 20 minutes to answer just one part of your question. Um, number two for me personally was the, how like, how it felt to like 
be a foster parent while dealing with infertility. Like that was the second hardest thing because all of a sudden I was a mom, but I could like tomorrow not be a mom all of a sudden yeah. tomorrow they could go home and then I'm not a mom anymore. But like so much of your identity is wrapped up in who you are. Being a mom. Yeah. Yeah. And so like to have your life fully wrapped around something that um, could go away and it's something that you've wanted and you've tried for the normal way and it's not happening. And so like, I think it just made it so much more emotional and so much more, um, I'm not even sure what the word, like high stakes than it even already was because it wasn't, even though it, like I didn't cognitively think about this every day, right? It was just sort of like bubbling under the surface. Yeah. Like yeah. for me, it wasn't just about the high stakes situation for this family, which was already huge and dire. It was also like such a high stakes emotional thing for me of like, this is what makes me a mom. Like yeah. I'm so in this. And it was off. I just often felt like really... <clears throat> almost blinded to like, um, you know, the situation for what it was. Cause I was just so emotionally caught up in like, in my own stuff sometimes without even knowing it, you know? Yeah. So that was really hard too. I guess that makes sense though. Cause like with infertility, the only thing that you want is to be a mom. And then you get placed this kid, this baby, whichever, or, yeah. and you're like, Oh, I get to be a mom. I'm a mom, I'm a mom, I'm momming, I'm momming hard. Yeah, like I'm doing this. I am doing this. And especially <laughs> when it's still in the, like, the, the system in Florida is, like, reunification state. So, like, all of those things. But I'm sure in the back of your head, you're like, any day. Any day. What they can get a phone call and be like, yeah. all right, they're going home. And then your momming is just done. <laughs> Yep. I don't even know how I would feel if one day they'd be like, oh, your mommy is done. Like, what? Yeah. Like, what, you mean? what do you mean my mommy is done? What does that even mean? <laughs> I need more explanation. Yeah, like, yeah. even when they're asleep, you're technically still mommy. You gotta make sure they're still breathing. You gotta make sure if they wake you up the monitor on. You got the monitor on. on. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine not having any of that after doing it for however long I was doing it for. Yeah. When our first um, foster kid went home, um, we were able to maintain a bit of a relationship with her mom. I wasn't even going to give away the gender. With her mom. <laughs> uh, and at first, it felt like we were going to be able to stay in their life to an extent, yeah. like sort of be family friends and come over and visit and stuff like that. And at first it worked out. We were able to visit her once and it was wonderful. Um, and I was sort of clinging to that. Like my husband was grieving immediately. Like it was a big season of grief for him when, when, when they went home, even though it was best case scenario it was what was supposed to happen, you know, yeah. it still a, a grieving season for us. And I wasn't grieving because I was just, you know, like so focused on like, but we can still be in their life. It's okay. We're going to be okay. We can still be in their life. Um, but then eventually we got ghosted, which like, I was mad that we were ghosted, but I also like had, you know, understanding for like, it's an emotionally complex situation. If I were a mom who had been caught up in all of that, I completely understand there would be a huge part of you that just wanted to put it all behind you and like yeah. F all that. And so like, I, I understood, but like, it wasn't till that happened that I like fully grieved that situation. Um, and, 
And, and yeah, I was like literally, literally in the process of crying myself to sleep when we got the phone call for um, the baby who is now my son. Um, and it was 1230 at midnight, 1230 at night, um, saying like, hey, there's a six day old that we're looking for a home for this. These are the details. Can you say yes? And we're like, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so really we get up and like get yes. all the baby stuff out of the garage that people had like you know all the secondhand stuff that people donated to us because you're not going to buy a bunch of stuff when you don't know what age is going to come yeah. in and pay yeah and um yeah and then he wasn't dropped off until 4 30 in the morning and then someone just handed me a six-day-old through our front door and said okay bye and then i was mom again <laughs> like it i what? it was just such a such a weird way such a weird way and of course i hadn't slept because i'm just yep. like i'm literally laying oh, on the couch now with you're the like window open waiting to hear so much pull into the driveway yeah and i mean like obviously when you give birth well, I, mean, I, I, I haven't done it when you give birth you have a sleepless night before that too <laughs> so you yeah, go into you're that getting prepared for the baby right they say give rest, but it was but definitely you yeah you don't ever you don't rest. ever give rest they're like oh I'll take as much days as you need for me i'm about rest. to bring a whole new baby i'm about to bleach the place so what do you mean <laughs> yeah no there's no rest there's no rest before the baby there's no rest after the baby but yeah it was a weird way to suddenly become a mom and then um it was a solid i would say um, a solid two years where we truly had no idea what was going to happen with his case. And like, you know, we, we, we just didn't know whether it was going to be, um, mom or family or someone other than us, you know? Um, and then eventually it started looking more obvious that he would, um, end up staying with us. But even then, like with the system, you cannot trust anything until it happens. Like, nothing is real until it's on paper or you're in that courtroom. And even then it might change at the last second, like yep. nothing is real until it happens. And so it was a bizarre way to fall in love and become someone's mother. Like I, I am momming you every day. Like I, I am your mom. I am the one who, when this baby cries can comfort them. Right. But also the state might tomorrow tell me just kidding. They're going to go over here um it was re really 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 fucking hard <laughs> there's no other way no. there's no other way it, to put it. it sounds it sounds really hard and the few people that i do know or i follow who do foster they're like you have to like you you give your whole heart to the baby or the kid like, that's what they need. You know that's what they need. They just need love, and they need protection or whatever the case may be. And does you do, like, when they reunify, do you lose a piece of your heart? They say all the time, yes, you lose a piece. But your heart is big, and your heart has more pieces for whoever else is coming into your system. I literally heard someone say that today. That's a, they're like, do you lose a really good way? I've never heard that. That's a really yeah. good way to put it. Yeah, like they're like they lose a piece whenever they get you reunified and that's okay because that kid or the, those kids needed that piece of my heart while they were here mm -hmm. and she's like my heart is big and it's okay so i'll have more pieces for whoever else comes to my door and i was right. like oh my it's god the, like, ah! it's the intention 
personal choice to break yourself a little bit to try to save that kid from breaking a little bit. Like, their kid's already going to break a little bit, right? Like, there's some level of breaking that you can't prevent because they're going to break. But, like, you could hopefully at least give them as good enough, as good an experience as possible. So it's choosing to break yourself instead of them breaking even more. But, like, and because of that, we would get a lot of, like, oh, my gosh, you're so selfless. But I never felt that way, um, particularly because of, like, the infertility stuff and how it played into it. I was, I was and am still. I get so much out of it, right? Like, I gained a whole new identity that I was so unbelievably desperate for in being a mom by fostering. Like, I didn't feel selfless at all. If anything, I felt selfish. Like, there was part of me that was, like, this little lie, like, in my head trying to say, like, oh, you couldn't have a baby of your own, so you wouldn't stole someone else's. And, like, yeah, obviously that's a terrible way to look weird, at it. Yeah, the like, I ain't steal nobody's baby. I ain't steal nobody's baby. I know, but, like, like, the state stole someone's baby, and they needed someone to watch him, and I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm <so> <laughs> But, like, I, it, it, I, I still gain so much. I think there's other ways to help kids where you don't gain as much. Like, shout out to caseworkers. They make nothing, and they do everything. A lot. Oh, my God. God I could never do their job. I could never do their job. I um, only two at one point. Uh, I thought about it. No, no. I couldn't do their job. Um, anyway, yeah. There's other ways to help where you gain less. Like, you, you, gain, you gain so much as a foster parent too like even for the people that are already parents right like you're gonna gain so much because just think about how much you gain from your kids like and even though the relationship is different it's still you're so mom amazing human that is now in your life that you have the privilege of of guiding and loving you know so you do gain a ton too Mm -hmm. so did you ever struggle to bond the child or baby you had I did not, but because I, I would say that only because I had two placements. Like I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are foster parents by, you know, just by way of being connected with the community. And I'm in a lot of groups, (laughs) like support groups on Facebook for foster parenting. And like, it happens. There are going to be kids that come your way. If you're a foster parent, particularly kids that um, are older who have maybe been in multiple foster homes before they come to you, who have experienced a lot of trauma and have a huge wall up, right? Like they, yeah. they don't want to be loved. They don't want anything from you because all they know that adults have given them is pain. pain and so they're going to absolutely every away, they yeah. push you away. So yeah, there's absolutely, like I've read posts of people being like, I feel like a terrible person. I just don't feel anything for this kid that's been placed with us. Like, should I disrupt the placement? I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like they deserve to be loved and other people stepping up and, you know, some, there's mixed opinions with that of like, Oh no, like, of course you should disrupt. They deserve to be loved like, like a parent. And other people are like, like, they're going to be hard for whoever, like you're still loving them. Well, like, even if you don't feel it, you're still doing a good thing. I don't know. I don't know. I've never been in it, but I think you have to give yourself some grace to feel that way if you're a foster parent and you do. Like, it's a hard, hard job. These kids have been through so much more than they ever should have had to been gone through. And um, it's okay to not have an immediate bond. Even with, like, even with my son, right? When he showed up, <laughs> when someone handed me a baby through my front door, I, I was immediately bonded to him in the sense that he was a baby and I was a woman struggling with infertility. 
Yeah. I wanted a baby. And I was like, it was just so like, that's the only lens I could see it through at first. Right. So like I was immediately bonded to him because of who he made me. He made me a mom and I wanted to be his mother so badly in that moment. But in hindsight, looking back, I can think like, but I didn't know him. I didn't, I didn't know him. It took time and he didn't know me. It took time to fall in love with him for who he like to get to know him. Right. Um, And so, yeah, it takes time to bond. Well, but at the same time, like with our first foster daughter, I was tempted to, I was so tempted to be like, okay, have a good day at school. I love you. Like after they were with us for one week and realized like having to pull back to an extent, realizing like, okay, they just met you. Don't, don't, don't go don't, on don't, too don't strong. Don't scare them. Like have have some respect for like the position that they're in. Don't don't ask them to like be kissing you on the cheek or whatever when they just met you. You know, like you have to try to remember the situation you're in and and contextualize it. Even though it's sometimes sometimes it is really easy to be like, okay, love you um, immediately because of course okay. you love them. They're a kid. Yeah, yeah. You have some, they're kids. You have some sort of love for them. You know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And their kids, no matter, no matter how or where you come into contact with kids, like you love them. They're unless you got some really bad kids, then you like. But <laughs> nine times out of ten, <laughs> kids, you're like, oh my god, they're so cute. I love. Like you know, you mm-hmm. just you, kids are just kids, and you just love them. them, them. Right? No. <laughs> yeah. There's not. There's not like like a. I can't love this. Kid kid because of this like you just you instantly fall in love yeah mm-hmm. the people who like kids right like i know people who yeah. don't like kids and don't feel that way but they're not the people signing up to be foster parents so <laughs> yeah that part so question are you guys still going to be foster parents like are you guys still going to take like if they called you and was like hey we have this child that needs a home would you guys be like yeah that's fine um just for some time or like whatever or are you guys like I'm okay with, 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 um, with my son. Yeah. My heart still really wishes we could still be fair foster parents. Like we still had the capacity to do it. Um, but realistically we are, we are just so emotionally fried from the past two and a half years of like not knowing if, if he was going to be our, our son forever or not. And like just the emotional journey that that took us on, we are like, we are so overcooked. <laughs> we're just, we're so done. Um, we really need a break. So we're, we're closing our license for now, closing our home to placements for now. Um, I really, one of the things that I learned from being a foster parent was just sort of like getting a better idea of like what the, what the actual need is. Right. Cause like, when you're not in it, you don't know, you hear a lot about like, oh, there's so many kids out there that need your help. And you sort of assume that a lot of that is babies, right? Um, the major need is teens. Like it's, it, it's teenagers that are just like, have nowhere to go and no one's stepping up to help them because they're afraid of teenagers. Like we're afraid of teenager. We're afraid of our own teenagers. <laughs> we're terrified of teenagers yeah. that have been in the system, right? Yeah. And so like, there's just no one, not no one, but there's too few people stepping up to help them. And so one day my heart, I would really, really, really love to foster teens. Um, but we just don't, we're not in the space right now where we feel equipped to do that. Um, so I think in the future, 
we will foster again is something we both feel passionate about, but we also just have to be realistic about what we're able to handle. And right now we love our son so much and we're still learning what he needs and what we need to be able to like, not totally fry ourselves out on parenting. And um, so we're taking a break. Okay. We're taking a break. Sometimes to be able to know that, Yes, fostering is what you what you feel in your heart and you love doing it and like it's what you have a passion for. But also knowing that like, hey, I'm at my limit. I gotta I gotta I gotta hang I, it up uh, for right now. Yeah. Because I feel like if you didn't do that and you did get like another placement, you wouldn't be giving that child your hundred percent mm -hmm. because you were following like your passion. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I could, I, like, I well, also, it. like yeah. when we made the decision to be foster parents, it was just me and Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not just me and Chris now. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's me, Chris, and Malik, and we have to ask ourselves what's best for Malik too. Yeah, and so right now, in terms of like, we want to give our son the best, and we want to give him all of us, and we feel like he deserves that. He had enough of a raw start in life, you know, of a raw deal, and like we just want to give him our absolute best, and we don't feel like we have the emotional capacity, let alone like the time to navigate the system right now um, on a voluntary basis. You know, like if we were thrown yeah. out, but it's a choice. Yeah, yeah, I don't need another 1230. Hey, so we have a baby. Gonna drop him off at four o'clock in the morning or a teenager. You know what I mean? At four o'clock in the morning. That's just like, that'd be all over the place. Yeah. There are people who have who have kids who decide that they can do it and maybe two years from now who knows maybe we'll feel like those people right now we do not feel like those people <laughs> so and it's okay to not feel like those people yep. yeah it's perfectly normal to feel like you know what I mean you need a moment yep so what does the quote never feeling good good never feeling good enough but good enough parenting like what is that you said that yeah what is that because we were I like that's good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. So, yeah, like two years into fostering, um, I had a bit of a breakdown and <laughs> I was like, I need a therapist. So I started, <laughs> I started going to therapy. Um, highly recommend for everyone. Even if you don't feel like you have enough shit to deserve to, to, to like warrant therapy, everyone needs therapy. Um, and everyone can benefit. So if, if, if you, if you have the ability, I highly recommend it. And one of the things that my therapist is constantly telling me, like, good enough parenting is good enough. Um, because particularly as a foster parent, some of, some one of the sort of, like, lies I get trapped in mentally is the state, you know, like, the man, someone said that their parent who the universe picked to be their parent right like they were born to this person someone said that person wasn't good enough so if i'm supposed to be replacing that person i have to be the best like yeah. i have to try to mitigate all of the crap that you know this child didn't deserve and i have to be the best because if that person wasn't good enough i i have to be good enough you know and so just the amount of pressure that I was putting on myself to not just be a parent, but be the absolute best parent and completely and 100% sacrifice myself and my mental health to make that happen for the sake of the kid, 
um, in every given moment, like the amount of pressure I was putting myself was just unsustainable. And so my therapist is very big on pushing like good enough parenting is good enough. You know, like you didn't have perfect parents and you survived and you're a functioning adult, you know, and yes, you have stuff that you work through, but you work through it. And now you're a parent and you need to lean into good enough parenting sometimes without feeling like you have to be the absolute best. Cause there are times when, <clears throat> I need this right. <laughs> sorry, what? I need this therapist's number. Right. <laughs> Um, trying to be the best in every single moment is going to fry you out to the point where then you're going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> because really, you're going to really completely bad. lose yourself. Yeah. You're going to be completely exhausted. You're not going to be the type of person that you want your kid to have loving on them, let alone to have to look up to. Like, you have to have your own personhood and remember your own needs enough to be able to be a parent in the long term because it's a marathon right not a sprint like i i so that's yeah i'm trying to always remind myself that good enough is good enough <laughs> um rather than trying to compare myself to some idea of like having to be the best that's true i'm not mad i'm not, I'm not mad at all <laughs> it's good enough it's good enough yeah but like i feel like that's that's I don't know. For me, I'd be like, thank you, therapist. You made my day. Yeah, no. I'm good enough. <laughs> Come on, seconds. I am good enough. I know. I like, say you went in there with, like, the worst day with your kid. And they're like, good enough. Good enough parenting is good enough. You'll be like, okay. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, oh, there's someone else I follow on Instagram. Um... Elise Myers, I don't know if you funny, follow her. She's mostly, like, just, like, a funny person. Um, but she's pregnant right now, and she posted a video saying, um, she's like, look, there are a lot of days right now where all I have to give is 30%. <laughs> but if all I have to give is 30%, and I give 30%, that's 100% yeah. of what I had to give. And that's enough. Like... That's yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. If I only got thirty percent and I gave you all of it, that's a hundred percent of all I had. Exactly. Like, yeah. When she said that, I was like, "Preach!" Thank you. <laughs> it's, thank you for telling me so that. True. I needed to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cause I don't. I'm yeah. <laughs> cause it's one of those ones, like you feel like you have a grasp on parenting. Because you have, like, you have kids before. So yeah. we have both of the boys. Do we have both of the boys full-time? We had Lex full-time. But Dimitri, he was with us, like, three months out, like, six months out of the whole entire year. He would come for three months. He would go home. He would come for three months. Like, literally, he was with us for six months of the year. So, like, it was, like, an off-and-on type deal. So it wasn't, like, full-time parenting, but it was full-time parenting. Yeah. And then Lex was with us. We had him since he was six months old. So, like... We had, the, like, so then it was Lex since he was six months old, and then Dimitri was two and a half. Mm -hmm. So it was the two of them. So it ended up, and then it was like, oh, now you have two full time. And, and you feel like you, you have, like, you know what you're doing. You feel like you have a grasp on it. You're like, oh, okay, I got this. Diapers, wipes, boom, they eat this, they eat that. I can clean this up, tidy this up, do this, do that. And then... You add an extra one. 
my gosh. And <laughs> it's not like you added an extra one like two and a half years later. No, you added an it extra was a whole, one a whole seven years later. A whole seven years later. Yeah. And it feels like you don't know what the hell you're doing. I literally say all the time that she is a different baby than what I was used to having. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I didn't, I personally feel like I didn't have two kids before her. I feel like she is my first and I am out here winging it. <laughs> so like the good enough parenting is good enough because today it was a good enough day. Like we watched more TV than she's supposed to have. We right. ate a bunch of snacks. She didn't eat breakfast. She didn't eat dinner. She had like two bites of her breakfast and she's like, all right, I'm done. I was like, but you know what? She's alive and she's happy and she's not traumatized. Hey, she was probably like, I'm living the dream. Do you yeah. Right now with Rachel's <laughs> snacks, my mom's the best. And, like, and I, to me, I'm like, oh my God, she, she had all that sugar. Lord Jesus, what's going to happen? She gonna, is she going to be diabetic tomorrow? Like, legitimately, she's had juice. She's had a lot of juice today. She had some and yesterday. And yesterday. And, like, she didn't want breakfast. She barely ate her dinner. And I'm just like, my boyfriend's like, she didn't eat dinner and she didn't eat breakfast. Is she okay? Is she fine? You think she's getting sick? I'm like, no, nah, she's straight. <laughs> she'll be all right. She'll be back to nerve tomorrow. <laughs> he literally was like, is, is, is she sick? Do you think she's getting sick? I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think she's fine. I, she just didn't want to eat. I, I, don't, I don't know. So, like, good enough. Today was a good enough day. We, we a good enough day. day. Yeah. And I'm sure your standards change with every kid, right? I had a friend once. She was she had five kids. Um, and she's like, yeah, when I had my first kid, I, like, made organic baby food, and I was so conscious about every choice. And by the fourth kid, they would come to me and say they're hungry, and I would say, you know, I'm sure there's some crackers in the couch somewhere. <laughs> like, just, you know, there's food somewhere. Find it. <laughs> Obviously an exaggeration, but just to be like, you realize I, that as long as they're fed, it's fine. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I was that mom at first, and like, it ends and it flows mm-hmm. just because of how picky my house is. Yeah. Um. So like, my whole house in, in entirety is picky. I'm picky, my boyfriend's picky, like my mom's picky, the boys have a select diet just because of their autism. So like, everyone in my house is picky. So I worked, like, <coughs> really hard for her not to be picky. So she wouldn't be the only one that wasn't. If I put it out of place, you need it. Yeah. So, like, I was that mom. I made the food. I make the things. I do the popsicles. I make the stuff. Yep. <coughs> and, like, she prefers treats. She prefers snacks. Like, that's her preferred, what? Her kids, preferred what? thing. I can give her doesn't. some crackers. And some fruit snacks and a couple of pickles and some fruit and my girl would be in her best life. <laughs> this is this is great. So I tried to like limit the snacks and my mom has my mom has a sweet tooth, so no who knows what snacks are in her room. <laughs> and Rue knows if she goes around the corner, Gigi's gonna open it. No matter what it is, if she's had three of them, Gigi's gonna open it. She knows that. Like my <laughs> girl since she's been able to walk knows if I go around this corner with something, my Gigi's gonna open it. So like and the pantry's open. So I had to put. I had to tell everybody in the house, like, "Hey guys, she's like only eating fruit snacks at this point. She doesn't <laughs> want anything else. She's not eating anything else. She's only eating fruit snacks. Can we can we dial back the amount of fruit snacks we give her?" 
And everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I got you, I got you, I got you. So I was that parent. I still am that parent because I do make her stuff. So, like, I do make her popsicles. I do make her, like, oatmeal her and her juices. And I try to do, like, those kind of things just because her, her belly isn't great. So I try to put good things in her belly. Um... But I, she eats McDonald's chicken nuggets, okay? I, I, <laughs> and you know what? She gets nutritional value out of them. Look. Because it's food. It's like, food. It's and filling her belly. Remind, it's giving yeah, her calories. I try calories. to remind myself that food is food. Food is food. Um, would I prefer her to eat more vegetables than fruit snacks? I think all parents do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we do what we got to do. Oh. And, we, and if I and give her this pack of fruit snacks, and she will go about today, her business, and leave me alone. Today. She can have these fruit snacks. <laughs> yeah. You learn to, like, put the energy where it's actually important. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. Like, you don't know it at first. You have to learn based on each kid and, like, based on yourself and the kind of parent you realize you are. You know, like, over time, your actual priorities reveal themselves. It takes, takes time to learn. And I guess it was different for me because, like, Demetri didn't eat anything. Like, he had his five foods, and that was it. So I already felt horrible because all he would eat was, like, cereal, fruit, pancakes, and pizza. That was literally it. So I already felt like a crap parent because, like, he doesn't eat anything, guys. Like, he's not eating anything really substantial. But he's growing. But, like, he's growing, and then yeah, there was, like, Lex, and he did a little bit better, but because they're together, like, they eat the same thing, and I was like, oh, snap, because this kid's diet, I'm struggling with this kid. Like, is he getting what he needs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And they're growing, and they're thriving. Yeah. yeah. They like exactly as much as as they need. I mean, yeah. We have to give ourselves more grace. <clears throat> oh sure our last question what is your job title and what are you trying to do with that job title right now my job title is mom <laughs> i <laughs> i have the i mean it's incredible privilege to be able to just focus on that right now um i so my history i come from working in nonprofits, so i've been in variety of small to mid-sized nonprofits and I've worked in operations. So like literally keeping the lights on and making things run, whether that's, you know, I mean, which when you come from small nonprofit, that's literally doing everything from bookkeeping to volunteer management to event coordination to, you know, like business licenses and renewing things. And like, I've, I've literally done it all. <laughs> um, and yeah, so like nonprofit operations, I feel like is a good title for my job now too. <laughs> It's operations, and I don't make a profit. Um, <laughs> the profit is love. I do. The profit loves. Yeah. I do a little bit of everything, and he stays alive. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to get back into the nonprofit field. And now that I am specifically so passionate about foster care, right, and, like, child welfare in general, I, I'm hoping to be able to go into that field in some way without having to be a case manager. <laughs> um, so we'll see where that goes. I'm not sure what exactly that'll look like and um i've been looking into some different um you know stuff that already exists in orlando or looking into models of what exists elsewhere and like who knows could i start my own nonprofit? like 
I don't know. The, the doors are sort of wide open right now and I'm trying to decide what would be worth, um, you know, putting energy into, um, while also doing the mom thing. Um, I'm severely ADHD. So <laughs> whatever I choose, like I have to be really excited about it or it is like not going to go well. Um, I, some like, like the balls will drop somewhere. Like I'm just, I, I'm not good at doing it all at once. So we'll see right now. I, I feel very lucky to, to be able to focus mostly on, on being Malik's mama. He's a perfect little kiddo. He's such a lovable little weirdo. He's so, <laughs> so cute. He's so, so cute. I, I crack up all the time. Cause like he's in like, he'll come up on my, Oh, this week's memories. Cause mm -hmm. like he, take pictures and he wants to take pictures. And I'm just like, Oh, his little chocolate, he's so chocolate, and I just love it. Mm -hmm. I love it, and those big old eyes, they get me. That's how he ends up with 12,000 snacks when I'm there, because he's just like, please, <laughs> like, and I'm like, sure. You said please. You know, you ask nicely. He's in this super sweet phase right now. Like, I just spent this weekend with my in-laws, and, like, every other word out of his mouth was, thanks, Grandpa, or thanks, Grandma. <laughs> and like he's just so sweet and he says thank you all the time and like weirdly he's obsessed with vegetables like I don't like I hesitate to say this because there has absolutely been a time he survived on fruit, fruit snacks and him surviving on vegetables right now is nothing of my doing it is like no, he asks for well, he's obsessed he, he asks for a, a big cucumber. cucumber yeah no today literally he ate a big he ate a whole cucumber the whole thing I peel it and hand it to him, and he eats the whole thing. A whole carrot, cucumber. Carrot? Literally, you just wash them? Days ago? And hand them days ago? He ate four tomatoes like they were apples. He just chomped down four tomatoes, and it was disgusting <laughs> and a mess, but that's what he ate for lunch. I offered him other things, and he, like, ate a little bit of chicken, but he just, like, ate four Tomatoes. Oh like I said, he's such a yeah. lovable little weirdo. He, <laughs> yeah, because he loves vegetables. Like he's the, he's one of the, like he is the only kid who I know I can literally drain green beans from a can and put them all in a bowl and he'll eat them all. Like the no salt added green beans. He won't eat the green beans. What's flavor on them? He doesn't want flavor on them. He just wants. He the, doesn't. What's green beans? He just wants, um, wants green beans. He's, like, gonna, like, he's gonna be thriving. <laughs> It's okay if there's some times where he's surviving on, on food. No, I know. At this point, that boy has the strength in him eating little <laughs> vegetables. And it's hilarious because he will literally just get a carrot and he's like, oh, a big carrot. And I'm like, you want like a big, like, you don't want these little ones? <laughs> no, he wants a big carrot, please. And I'm like, all right, let me, let me clean it off. Let he me wants the it. biggest carrot in the fridge and he will chomp it down like he's a damn bunny rabbit. And it's, yeah. it's just really cute. It's really, really cute. Oh my I know it won't last. I know it won't last. We're hoping that it lasts. And I feel horrible when I'm there because he'll, he'll literally eat 12,000 vegetables. And I'm like, vegetables are expensive, Malik. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. you, I'm sure, this, this cucumber wasn't even open yet. Your mom just got this one. And you have literally eaten the whole thing in a day. Vegetables are expensive. Yep. Our, our, our budget goes to produce right now. And, um... Like those tomatoes that he ate, like I bought those for a recipe that I then didn't get to make because he just ate the tomatoes. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I can't. Yeah, but he's the he's the cutest. And it's funny when I bring like Re, when I bring Rue over, because he's like, it's Miss Devin and Rue and Malik. It's a family. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because he, he talks about, like, it's Malik and Daddy and Mommy and Malik. And then I was the one who started saying, yeah, that's our family. And so now he says family for everything. Like, yeah, yeah. Stephen like, and Rue and Malik, it's family. It's family. And I'm just like, you're so cute. And he's so nice and sweet to Rue. Granted, they're little and the sharing thing's not the best. But he is really sweet. He'll go get her one if he's like, no, you can't have this one. You can have this one. Like, you can play with this one and not this mm-hmm. one. So, like, but he's the sweetest thing. He's so He'll stinking sweet. Brown saying, oh, Rue. Yeah. Oh, Rue. Oh, Rue. You're so oh. silly. <laughs> oh, Rue. I could not. I can't go, oh, my God, you're so cute. It's like the commentary. I know. Part. It's the commentary for me, all of it. I'm just sitting there, like, in, in awe because she's happy, he's happy, and the commentary for the both of them. Oh, Rue, you climbed so well. He, he's precious i don't know what i did in this life or past life to deserve being his mom he's he's just i i tell chris all the time like he's just a miracle he's a little miracle baby like i i'm obsessed with him he's the best no he's great he's great definitely definitely won the jackpot with that one yeah I did. he's awesome you literally and he he's the cutest and then his smile and those it's just it's the eyes his eyes get me every single time i don't know if they're just because they're so perfectly rounded i don't i don't know but his dimples yeah i hate how and why i hate the fact that he needed me but i feel lucky as hell to to be the one that gets to love on him you guys are so this lucky. is we we said last question, but I have a question that just came mm-hmm. to my mind. Do you get controversy between having a black mm. child? <laughs> she said the way she looked at you and that hmm, was enough to answer the question, D. <sighs> I mean, is there another hour to this podcast? Like, well, okay. We, our podcasts go from anywhere. Like we try to stick to forty-five minutes. To be completely honest, we never ever stick to that. Never. never. I mean, that's such a loaded question, right? Like, there's so many ways to answer that question. <clears throat> you can't pretend like race isn't important, right? Like, especially in this country, race is so important. And it's one of the biggest questions and sort of anxieties that I had as we were fostering him, and it was looking more and more like his case was going to end up going towards adoption is I was just feeling this incredible sort of like grief and anxiety over like my white ass does not deserve to like get to raise this beautiful black child. Like I do, I, am I equipped to do this? And like the answer in a lot of ways is no. And it's always going to be no, just by way of like the things that like, I can't know because I'm white. Like I, and but I think the fact that I'm willing to admit that is like a big step that unfortunately you don't see a lot in the foster and adoptive community. There's a lot of people out there that like try to pretend that color doesn't matter and that they're colorblind and, and love is love is love, which it is. But like, you have to be willing to admit where you fall short and like be able to admit that like my kid is going to need to know things that I can't teach him. And so that's why I have to be able to surround him with black community that can give him things that I just can't. And so like, that's why I'm hugely 
grateful and indebted towards like people like Devin and your family who are willing to come alongside us and and support us as Malik's parents and say like you guys are giving him the love now we're gonna give him the culture that you guys can't which like when we had when we finalized his adoption we threw this big party and um Devin and then Miss Tina came and you know they brought these sweet books that that <laughs> Miss Devin was like yeah my mom's gonna bring some books that represent <laughs> Um, that represent. That represent. Like, <laughs> it was funny because she's like, "What do you bring to an adoption uh, <laughs> uh, party?" Like she literally was like, uh, "I don't know what I don't even know what the right make a wish list." Like, <laughs> no, we had said no gifts. Yeah, she course, said, we had to bring no something. And I told her, "I was like, my mom's not coming without a gift." Uh, yeah, <laughs> she, she's not coming to this event with empty-handed. Empty-handed. Yeah. So like, I'm just gonna pre-warn you. And like, my mom had to Google it because we've never been to an adoption party his was the first one so yeah. she had to google it and most of it was like um like on the top list it was like books uh a photo album like a photo album that you can make and like uh, like other keepsakey things mm -hmm. and my mom was like books because we're big readers in our house so like books yeah. so she was like books mm -hmm. and literally stood in the book out for i'm not even gonna tell you how long it was so long that my kids got books from the bookshelf and sat on the floor and started <laughs> reading books. Because um, she just wanted to find the... She wanted to find the best ones. And we know as people that there is that controversy out there. We know that. And like you said, you won't know everything. You Because like, you're not black. So like you, you just won't know it. And... My mom was like, I want to give her an olive branch and, like, the most tactful, like, less offensive, aggressive way yeah. to let her know that she has support. Because not only, not only is Malik black, but he's a black boy. And that is, like, as horrible as it's going to sound, that is the hardest thing to be in America. Yes. Yeah. That is literally the hardest thing to possibly be in America. You could be any honestly than being a black boy in America that is the hardest thing so my mom was like I want to extend my hand and like my help and my and like whatever I can extend to her but yeah. like gracefully <laughs> yeah um so she got we got two books she got two books one for now one for later um, I have no idea what she wrote in them if she did write in them because I was not part of that because that was her <laughs> gift um I picked out the one for him now and because she gave Which me he has memorized like he loves it <laughs> <laughs> i was like uh i like this one i like the ones that she gave me and yeah. she picked out the one for the future so i have no idea but yeah we didn't we didn't she didn't want to be like oh oh i'm here You're like i don't know how to explain like that. what do you do come to an adoption bar so <laughs> Right, and she probably, I mean, I know I've had conversations, I'm so sorry, I No, you're fine. Like, I know I've had conversations with you, Devin, about, like, I, <laughs> I'm going to be the first to admit, I don't know what I'm doing here with certain things, like, and being able to ask you questions, and, um, but she probably didn't necessarily know, like, what angle I was approaching this yeah. from, and, yeah. and 
if I was going to be humble about it or like, you know, yeah. pretend to be colorblind or like whatever. But yeah, different people, have, you know, then, then there are people who like truly think it doesn't matter. And, and, and like, <laughs> I don't know. And then there are then there are other people like sometimes, you know, when I'm out and about, there will be families of color who really don't like what they see when they see me with Malik and having the grace to understand that and be like, look, I know what this looks like. And I know that this country has incredibly terrible systems of oppression that are designed <laughs> to keep people in poverty that have created these circumstances where this child was then removed. And then we go and adopt the babies. Like that's just so messed up. Like I know the crap that's underneath this <laughs> and I'm willing to admit it and like have grace or I don't know, just like, I don't expect everyone when they see our family to immediately accept yeah. us. I, oh. I certainly like, I'm going to defend my kid and like not put him in situ or like take him, remove him from situations that are going to tell him that his family is wrong. But, um, I don't know. Like I just, you have to be nuanced about it. Right. And you have to be willing to view things from every angle while at the same time, knowing at the end of the day, like he knows he is loved. He's in a, loving and safe environment and I'm going to do everything I can to give him all that I have and give him a community that can give him something I know I can't. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all I can do. <laughs> I think you're far ahead of a lot of people, a lot of people because it's the truth. It is hard to be, um, a black boy in America Yeah. and on top of it coming with a white family and then when they see him and they see you guys all together, you know, it's a look. Everybody's going to Everyone's going to everybody's everybody's gonna gonna stare. stare. Everyone's going to have their opinion. And and I respect that. I just, you know, I'm going to protect my kid. While also knowing that, like, thing, the white the privilege that I have and that, yeah. that exists when he's around me, like, doesn't, when he's not around me, he won't have that. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to know how to navigate the world as a black boy. Uh-huh. And that scares the shit out of me. So we know, I know, I know. It is, it is a very, 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 very scary situation. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom is working because she's an IP. She's doing something, and it is literally giving her insight of what could be if we don't have all the things that we have in place right now. Um, it is a legal thing so I can't even talk about it. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be talking about it. No. But literally it's giving her insight and why she works so hard for the things that she has in place for our boys because this could be them. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you are building a community for him to give him the things that you know you can't give him that's like it's commendable because people who do go into adopting and they do adopt children that are not their race, they don't do that. They feel like, oh, oh like I adopted them. This, this is, this is all they need, and it's, it's not. It's not all that they need. Um, no matter or they how wait. they wait until they're older or they're older, older, and they start asking questions. And then they're like, oh, my God, what do we do with their back up against the wall? And they don't know how to, how to um, navigate yeah. the world instead of bringing them up, having them.
that culture there nearby like mm -hmm. hey we're here you know you what I'm saying? Questions. yeah you got any questions like you know yeah pat. also <laughs> i have the benefit of you know growing up or growing up you know parenting in this time that we are parenting we have the benefit of social media and there are these amazing um adult adoptees who are out there speaking about their experience particularly transracial adoptees talking about like hey <laughs> this was a hard way to grow up and i'm gonna speak into it even though it's not what a lot of it's not the narrative that people want to hear a lot of the time and they you know their experience they get pushed back on their experience a lot um <clears throat> but they're speaking truth to the system and i have the benefit of learning from them be like hey it was really hard when I was the only black kid in my class or, Hey, it was really hard when my parents wouldn't talk about racism. Like just, I have the benefit of hindsight and like learning <laughs> what not yeah, to do. Get little tidbits from them. Yeah. Of what you can not do and how to tweak it and how to fix it and how to make it so that when Malik does get older, he is not one of those people who are like, yo, <laughs> yeah, I love my parents, but it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. If you have any listeners that are curious about like some of the resources that I've learned from, I can give you a list of some of the accounts that I follow on Instagram, particularly the adult adoptee experience and like, um, or like former foster youth experience to get insight from that perspective. Cause like, I mean, that's the most important perspective, right? Like that's who we should be learning from the kids who actually lived it, um, to be a foster parent or to, if you're considering adoptions, like learn the gritty truth before you enter something and, and put a bunch of weight on a kid for like, like you need them to, to be a parent, you know, and that puts a lot of weight on them. Like, let's do this for the kids and learn about the kids experience first. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. We don't mess them up <laughs> yeah. any more than we have to. Any more than what they already, what have they come already from. have come from. Yep. And I think also, cause I follow some, I follow someone and I follow because it's very interesting to see her perspective. She's like, oh, well, I have these adopted kids, but they don't know their background or like their history or where they came from. I don't understand how that's beneficial and or helpful to a child to not know where they came from. Yeah. 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 And it's just crazy to me that there are people out there who have that perspective. Like, oh, they don't need to know anything about the past. They're here now. This is all they need to know about. Well, no, they need to know everything. They need to know. Because then they become adults who are like, oh, my God. Yeah, going out sneaking. Yeah. I don't know. I'm missing a piece of my life. And you're like, we, we can figure this out. There's ways to know who, you're, who you are and where you come from. Where you come from matters. I mean, yeah. I remember when I when Malik was still pretty young, I was at a family thing and I was looking around at all my cousins and like, I all me and my cousins look alike. <laughs> and I never thought about how much that matters until I was thinking about it from Malik's perspective of like, Oh, he's never going to have this. And like, I was like wanting to cry just standing there at my family get together thinking about like, Malik won't have this. And it, it's something I wouldn't have thought that it matters all that much until you think about not having yeah. it. And so like yeah. being able to put yourself in their shoes and admit that like, <laughs> yes, love is important, but it's not the only thing that's important. So let's talk about biology and let's talk about, let's give you as much information as I can 
to know where you came from, to have the connections that will benefit you, to know, hell, to know your medical history, you know, like there's so yeah. many nuanced things. I feel, I don't even want to like speak as though I'm an expert because I'm not, like I'm, I, I don't have this lived experience. I'm just learning from the people who do. Um, but yeah, I can give those account names and so you can put them in your show notes or whatever. Yeah. Um, we definitely yes, will. for sure. Um, send them through a message on Instagram and then we'll put your um, episode up. We can tag all the Instagram people um, in our little caption thing. I'm a bobber. Yeah, what is it called? Uh, it's, called <laughs> it's called something. It's called something. Um, I guess you're, it's like a description of the episode. There you go, description. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> description of the episode and what we talk about. And then um, we'll probably end up tagging you in our little snippet clip that we usually put on our Instagram. And we are so happy that you were on our podcast and we got all this information from you. Yeah, this is good. This is one of those ones that you see people with it you know people who who go through it and you know them but you don't know the whole the like the inside pictures it's just so eye-opening it was eye-opening i i feel like i have learned so I much learned a lot definitely thanks i'm uh, glad yeah i like i said it, i feel like we have this very specific sort of fairy tale narrative in our country particularly about foster care and adoption and it's so much messier than that and like and it's honestly so much more beautiful than that. Like if you can embrace the whole picture. Um, yeah. So as much as I can speak into that, I'm always happy to do it. Yeah. And like, I feel like I have so much more because like your story is way different than our story. Not every story is the same either. And I, and I feel like the same thing, like how she says, like they picture it. Like, yeah. Aside from the one lady that me and you follow that she like has to give the kids back yeah like their um the reunification with the families like i've always seen like foster care as like it's the happy ending you know what i'm saying like there's no more mess there's no more nothing to it so from what you see on social media is like i got to adopt this baby we're so happy like we're yeah. you know what i mean like we're living life or whatever but there's it's not taking accountability into like this shit was hard hard like my mental health my anxiety like i was anxiety ridden like i was stressed out like you know what i mean like all the steps to get here it's just like here's this baby we adopt it we're happy that's all that matters no like take take some time go on a vacation <laughs> clear your head and it's happy and it's also not like it's heartbreaking. The story had to end that way versus reunification. Like it's all of the things. Yeah. It can be happy and heartbreaking at the same time. Yes. There's a lot of things that. It's take, a lot of emotions. Take, yeah. A lot of emotions. Yeah. And again, kudos to you and Chris. I don't know if I could. I probably could. But it's one of those ones I don't know if I could. But yeah. Kudos for doing it and being one of those people who stepped up to the plate um, because there is a need. There isn't enough parent people out there who want to go into that messy system's head first. And you guys did it not once but twice. Yep. <sighs> and that you guys have your 
Happy ending. You're like, not once but twice. So kudos to the both of you and kudos to whoever else is out there who are like diving headfirst into that messy system. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is that it? Yep. That's it. All right. So this is Radium from Moms. Stay tuned for the next episode. Like and subscribe. Ooh.